Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hello and welcome. I'm Patrick Curtis, your host and chief monkey, and this is the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Join me as I talk to some of the community's most successful and inspirational members to gain valuable insight into different career paths and life in general. Let's get to it. In this episode, consumer investor shares her path from a non-target school to breaking into the equity research group at a bulge bracket bank. We learn how she landed a key sophomore summer internship, why she was so attracted to equity research, how she eventually made the transition to another bulge bracket bank in order to get into investment banking. Listen to hear how COVID changed everything, what she did with her promotion to associate, and what main tool she used to help her navigate the private equity recruiting process. Okay, consumer investor, thanks so much for joining the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Thanks, Patrick. Um, Appreciate your time. Excited to be here. Likewise. So if you could just give the listeners a short summary of your bio, that'd be a great place to start. Sure. So I went to a non-target school, studied finance. Um, My junior year, I had an internship in equity research. Um, joined there full-time, um, covering the retail space. Um, after two years working there, moved over to a different bank uh, in the investment banking group covering similar sector. Um, I, I got promoted from analyst to associate after about a year and a half, and then um, made the move over to a middle market private equity firm um, focused also in the consumer space. Great. So from non-target to uh, bulge bracket equity research to bulge bracket investment banking to P, it's kind of the summary. Um, yeah. So let's, let's start all the way back kind of in undergrad or, you know, how did you build up towards that uh, summer internship in equity research? You were a finance major, so was finance always on the horizon for you? Yeah, definitely. So I guess it makes sense to back up just a little bit. Sure. So when I was thinking about where I wanted to go to college. I, I kind of always knew I wanted to do something in business or finance from pretty early age. Um, I actually started investing in the stock market when I was 13. Um, for my birthday, my, my grandpa had given me some money um, and I, I went to the mall and I saw what stores were busy. Um, so, you know, at the time, everyone was wearing Ugg boots and buying their first iPhone. So those are the stocks that I invested in. Um, so I kind of caught that that bug kind of early, um, but from there I knew was, I was wanted Uggs to. Was Uggs publicly traded back then, or was yeah, it? Yeah, so it was owned, it was owned by Decker. Got it. Okay, cool. And then so Apple, was, obviously, yeah. a, great buy, a great buy if you held on to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but it was it was fun for me, but there was definitely not a lot of um, technical analysis behind my uh, investment thesis. Um, mm-hmm. So I. You know, when I think about where I want to go to college, I wanted to pursue something in finance and business. 
but also really wanted something that was entrepreneurial and very social and helped me grow um, on that aspect. So where I went to school had a finance major and also an entrepreneurial minor, um, which was a lot of fun for me. Was definitely able to combine um, all my all my passions, mm-hmm. and through on campus recruiting, my sophomore year, I actually got an internship at a at a large healthcare company in their corporate finance kind of rotational program. It was a junior year internship, but it's kind of able to really present a, a good story of why it was a good fit for me and my passion in healthcare at the time and. Um, I think that was my my first really good experience in in the professional world. How did you get into that? How did you convince them to take you? Yeah. <laughs> were you were so, you was it kind of like you networked and then they like made an exception to interview you, or was it more of you just dropped your resume anyways, even though it said juniors only? Yeah. So it was a little bit of a combination of both. So it was for juniors only, but at my my school had a um, a finance forum for women and. Uh, the hiring manager was there. She was an alum of my school and I'd met her, um, didn't make, you know, a super strong connection or anything, but when I knew she would be interviewing me, um, you know, I did my homework pretty, pretty, um, pretty well. And I, I found out some deals that she had worked on and projects she was involved in and was able to just really have a great connection with my hiring manager. Um, and she was at the end of the day, you know, the voice at the table saying, you know, we got to hire her. Was that um, was that before the interview, or was that kind of bef- like you had made the connection before, or that was after you'd been granted an interview? Yeah, no. So I had met her before the interview, and then oh, when okay. I found out she was interviewing me, um, how you know, did you I, meet her before the interview? How did you it even was, know to it do was that? like a an alum forum oh, okay. at on campus, um, you know, just a, a ton of women studying finance, um, networking with each other. Cool. Okay, so that was. That was good. But why were there other kind of sophomores trying to do the same thing as you? Um, so my, my, I feel like my school was very accounting focused. And while I had taken accounting courses, I knew it was not for me. Um, I wanted to do, I always wanted to do something, um, you know, more strategic and business oriented. Um, and frankly, I wasn't getting a, A's in accounting. Um, Okay. So um, I feel like a lot of my peers in classes around sophomore year, you do have to choose your specific major within the business school. So a lot of my peers had already taken internships at big four accounting firms, whereas um, I knew that path was not for me. And um, I was exploring more corporate finance roles. So you didn't even have a 4.0 from an on target. You had a three. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. And what was that around mid three? Like it was only your sophomore year. So you only had like three semesters, but were you like mid threes? Yeah, I would say it was like um, getting B plus, A minuses, but definitely did not really excel in college courses until my junior and senior year when I was only taking finance classes. And when I, I like became obsessed almost with, uh, with finance. So then you're like Wall Street Oasis every day. All day, just kidding. Oh yeah. <laughs> so okay, so you're you're basically coming up. Um, you make a good connection before the interview. That's a huge help. Um, how many how many people do you think were applying to this role, and then how many interviews do you think they did, and then how many did they take? Like, what was the conversion for you? Yeah, I mean, I would say I well, I know I was the only sophomore in the program um, mm-hmm. amongst um, within my my small group within corporate finance, um, and then there were. There were there was one other junior who was selected from my school within the program as well. 
So it was it was a pretty small uh, group um, that they took, and you know if I if I had to guess, at least a hundred people applied. Maybe there were um, twenty on on this super day, and then um, kind of had a, a final round after that. I would think maybe that's from your people. school or from like from all the schools. You mean? Yeah, from my school. From your school, wow. Yeah, okay. And so then you're you get selected. What do you think? set you apart in that kind of very rigorous I mean were people kind of in the interview once you got in the first round where they'd be like why are you even here you're a sophomore did anybody ask that or were you <laughs> able to yeah of- I mean I think I was I it really came down to two things one just doing my homework on who was interviewing me and making a really good connection during the interview interview process with um, my soon-to-be hiring manager mm-hmm. I think she I was able to you know figure out exactly what projects she was on just through my investigating skills on the web on on, online and through their website um and I was able to just really convey also my passion for the group she was in within this large healthcare company and um really just talk through the industry almost and I think that theme has also carried throughout um later in my career as well so almost less about the, the technicals or anything like that and more just about conveying passion and connecting really, really well with your hiring manager. So you're, you talk about doing research prior to the interviews and stuff like that. So obviously you looked them up on LinkedIn. This LinkedIn was getting big at that, at that point, or is that what you did? Or then obviously you were looking on the website, the company website and trying to figure other stuff out, but was it a, it said corporate finance. So were they doing any acquisitions? Was it just more like internal finance type stuff or, or what? Yeah, yeah. There were it was more growth oriented projects within the firm. Mm-hmm. Um and so I was able to kind of figure out, you know, what team she was on and who who her boss would have been. And then I found um, you know, news articles that her boss was quoted in about specific projects they were working on and new initiatives and partnerships and kind of back backtracked that and um, was able to see maybe other people she was connected with on LinkedIn who might have been also quoted in these articles. So a lot of creative research here. But now, um, you know. <laughs> once you had that information, how did you not seem like you were forcing it in the interview? <laughs> was <laughs> yeah, it just like, I mean, was it just like, did you leave it to the end when they were at saying, like, do you have any questions for me just to show that you knew what they were up to? I think I weaved it in pretty early and in terms of, you know, why do you want this role and just went kind of straight into my passion for healthcare and maybe lightly touched um, some of the projects I knew she was on. And then we kind of were, I was able to really guide our interview, the interview and the conversation um, from there. So were they impressed with that? Do you think? Yeah, I think, I think that definitely set me apart. Um, and yeah, I mean, ultimately she was, she was my mentor and my champion throughout um, my, my internship. So you do that internship, you get something really great on the resume because you're doing a bunch of like financial models, which is very relevant to your future and your junior year internship, which ended up at a bulge bracket, correct? Yeah. So tell yeah. me how you, how you landed that because coming from non-target, yeah, you get a good financial analyst role, but it's still not, I mean, you see, you see kids at target schools, like sophomore, you're getting into investment banking, right? So you're still, it's not as if it's a sure thing, right? So tell me how you continue to build on what you had that summer or your sophomore year coming into your junior year. Yeah. So 
after my my sophomore year internship, I knew I wanted to live in New York City. You know, I'm I'm from New York. Um, I knew I wanted to be in a fast paced environment. I loved my sophomore year internship, but just didn't think that corporate finance was um, the right path for me. So I knew I wanted to do something on Wall Street. Um, I knew about investment banking. I knew about was it just trading. too slow? Like the day to day was just too slow for you? Um, I think you know. I think I was like too slow. It's more like it wasn't. It wasn't fast and fast enough, or competitive enough, or um, you know, wasn't really the right environment for me. I think it was an awesome company, but. Mm-hmm. for the aspirations that I had um, and continue to have. It just wasn't really scratching that. Way. Okay. Got it. Okay. So sorry. Continue. I interrupted. Yeah. So um, I knew I wanted to do something on Wall Street. I knew, I knew about all the jobs, um, had done all my homework, um, but I, I had been taking a class that was the first semester of my junior year. And this was when recruiting was somewhat normalized. Um, and so I was taking a class that was pretty much an initiating coverage report. Um, and I just completely fell in love with it. Like the whole idea of being an expert in something at 20 years old was the most attractive thing in the world to me. Um, I called research analysts. I called into earnings calls, like found the job for me almost. Um, so I only interviewed starting in the beginning of my junior year for for equity research roles. Um, but how do you even get those interviews if you're coming from a non-target school? I mean, there, there, were there a few firms coming on campus or zero? Yeah, so I was lucky there were a, a bunch of alum from my school who just had been really successful in their niche coverage space. So, so equi- equity research there. in particular? Yes, equity research in particular. Okay. Um, there was one bank that there were, I think, three or four very senior, highly ranked people at um at a, at cool. a few at a few banks. So I was able to really target them, um, connect with them really well. Um you I got them on the you a, got them on the phone? Yeah, yeah. I got them got a few of them on the phone. Um I had met a few in person as well. My school did a, a similar, not a female forum, but a, a Wall Street forum in the beginning of the year. So I was able to be on attend a panel with a bunch of research analysts and it was great. Um, I was able to also apply to, you know, the, the few sales and trading type of um, opportunities that did come on campus would interview with them, um, would sound really good. And then say, you know, can you connect me with your equity research um, division? And I, I, I was quite successful at a few firms doing that. Um, I ultimately ended up. So it sounds at, like you had no, at least what three or four first round interviews yeah. at Bulge Bracket Banks. Yes. Wow. So I impressive. Yes, I I had interviewed. Um, Why do you think you're getting so much traction here? There's so many kids from Nantucket saying it's impossible. You know, is it does it have to do with the fact that you're just like going through, like you did the you did the sales and trading interviews to kind of get in to like, <laughs> get your foot in the door yeah. for equity research, right? So like that's kind of interesting. Um, well, I did. How did you I would say, say that at the end of the interview without, you know, pissing them off? Or something? Yeah, I I would wait till the end of the interview and they would email me back. Actually, I had one bank who said to me, "You sound really good for an equity research role." Just the way that I was able to pitch 
pitch my stock in the interview. Mm -hmm. Um, they were like, are you sure you don't want to do research? (laughs) Um, I think that was actually for it for a capital markets oriented role, but pretty much any bank that was coming on campus, I was interviewing with. And because I had a, a good sophomore internship on my resume, and I was in an investing related club on my resume um, through through my college. Um, I was able to get at least a first round. And um, I was smart. You didn't, did. you didn't limit yourself just because if it was sales and trading or capital markets, you were you were smart enough to say, let me just take the interview, make the contact. Yeah, definitely. And but I you were, that, you were, but you were dead set on equity research. Is that accurate? Say, or you, yes, you would have taken, would you have taken a sales and trading if you could, didn't get the equity research? Um, you know, I was really, really my heart set on research. Okay. And I would say um, I took every interview very, very seriously and did my research and my homework. But I'd say half the interview, regardless, is behavioral and they're going to ask the same question. So it's really good practice. Um, any, sure. any interview you can get. For sure. Sorry, go ahead. So you, you went through the, all that. You got about three to four. And what happened? Yeah. And then, um, I ended up at the, the firm I did, there were this, this had the most alum from my college there. They hired, I'd say maybe one intern from my college a year. So I've, I felt it was a good fostering environment for me. Um, and I was correct. I loved, I loved my research role. Um, it was great. I had a ton of independence and was really able to just dive really deep and almost become an expert nerd on the industry that I covered which was so much fun for me Mm -hmm. um my internship I spent the entire time and I think this is pretty standard across all equity research internships is an initiating coverage report so you spend 10 weeks um getting to know your sector um, about half of the time you are, um, building out a model. Um, and then half the time you're building a 20, 30 page report on the industry as well as the specific company. Um, at the very end, it was like the last week of my internship. Um, the company actually got acquired. So my report never got published, which was really upsetting to me, but I was able to join that team full time. Um, when I, when I graduated. Very cool. So were they impressed with the report? It sounds like they were impressed with the, with the report. What was the conversion rate for, they said they took one from your school, but was it like a group of 10 interns in the equity research group or 20 or what was it like? Yeah, it's very small. I would say it was maybe 12. 12. And then how many you got full-time offers from that group? Um, maybe eight. And then they mm-hmm. hired maybe like one or two. Uh, there were 10 in my starting analyst cohort. Got us. I wanted to like laterals or whatnot. Um, yeah, for, exactly. Okay. So did you feel like that was a pretty typical year for your bank? Um, I would say it was probably a, a good year. There were definitely smaller conversions in following internship um, years. Interesting. Okay. So you get the offer and you're like, now senior year is a a blast. <laughs> you don't have to worry. Um, so equity research, bulge bracket, the pay, I assume the base is pretty similar to front office IB. Was it like 80 or 85 then? Yeah, it was, it was around that. And is that, did they communicate at all? Like what the bonus expectations were? Um, no, but I think my, 
I knew it was significantly less than banking just yeah. based on my my friends and you know what what I knew about banking and I was more than okay and very happy with my um starting salary. So how did it how did it play out was the was the bonus, you know, 20,000, 10,000, 40,000, 30 around there? What would oh, you say for gr- two years? First year, mm-hmm. I think everyone got the same, like around 10. Um <laughs> And then after that, it's like you're in a pool against all other non-senior analysts. So people who are VPs, associates, et cetera. And it's really, they try and make it very performance-based. And there's surveys that go to sales and, and to clients at hedge funds and whatnot. And, you know, it's, it, it is supposed to be formulaic. Um, so, um, you know, I was, I was happy with... Um, my my bonuses while I was there because I was a strong performer but I know that um I mean it's it's significantly less than investment banking was that one of the reasons why you started thinking of lateraling or was it more like because it sounds like you really love the research the actual job what was the thought process of hey I need you know I want to go to front office investment banking now because equity research you're working what 60 hours a week 70 yeah I mean when it's not earning um, it's like, uh, for me, I would get in maybe around seven or 8 a.m. Leave mm-hmm. by seven. Yeah. So 7 about PM. 60. Yeah. 60 yeah. N- never really working on a weekend. It was very good lifestyle. But I think after working really hard for two years, I picked my head off, thought what I want to, what I want to do with my life. And I think I was just very frustrated with the stock market, even a few years ago, just the way that the stocks were trading didn't make sense to me. What about um, now? What do you think now? It's now uh, February, oh my God. February 8th. Uh, so meaning <laughs> everything was disconnected from value, even at, in 2018, 19, everything was already still becoming disconnected from fundamentals, right? Yeah, yeah. I think that is probably the number one reason why I left uh, research is just because of my frustration on, you know, I, I couldn't, I could never see myself being, an investor in a, in a publicly traded stock that I thought was an amazing business because amazing businesses aren't always amazing stocks. And that just was so hard for me to become to terms with, especially as a research analyst. So you, was it, tell me how they were ranking the team. So was it something where like you were putting price targets on different stocks and it was like a percent of how accurate you were over a certain period of time? How did they even do that? So like from an internal process, um, it was more, um, at least on the junior level, just feedback that you would get from clients and feedback that you would get from sales. Like and trading. And, yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. And then from an external perspective, um, there's two kind of ways in which hedge funds and long onlys kind of rank research analysts. There's an institutional investor magazine ranking that goes out every year and if you get II rate ranked, you know, that's, that's a good seat for, for that senior analyst um, and that team. Um, and then hedge funds and, and long onlys also allocate broker votes to specific research analysts um, saying, you know, our fund is paying your bank X dollars um, and I want, I'm paying you this because um, so-and-so gave me really great advice or you know, after earnings, she released a note and then called me right away and was able to t- debrief me really great. Um, so getting that direct feedback was very helpful for me. 
Very cool. Yeah, I didn't know that. I learned something new today. So, <laughs> so tell me a little bit about, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely not as knowledgeable in the equity research space. So tell me about the transition though. What, when did you say, you said after two years, so you pick your, picked your head up after two years, why banking? Why not go try to go straight to like a hedge fund? You felt like, oh, it's not for you because like you said, you couldn't be in the public markets. Yeah. So I, I went down the hedge fund path and very much was like, this is, this would be a great role for me, but it's just not, this is not what I want to do for the next 10 years. Like I, I just will be so frustrated by, by everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. So I went down the path also of looking at long onlys and also similarly realized that just the value you can add at the junior level is just very limiting. And, you know, I think had a lot of the, the things I was looking for on investment horizon. Um, but essentially what I was describing to myself was private equity. And I don't think I realized that until a few years later, but um, I knew I needed some type of transaction experience. You know, the the only exposure I really had to any transactions in research was if a company was IPOing, they brought us in kind of last minute and then we initiated coverage and that that's not really transaction experience. Um, and I also needed to improve my modeling. You know, I was very, very in the weeds of the operating model. Um, mm-hmm. that, that's really kind of an underrated part of research is the, the deep dive you get into the companies and really building a, a detailed operating build. Um, that's, that's something you don't do as much in banking, or at least I didn't. Um, so I, I, I knew that. That's common for equity research. I think that's normal. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so yeah. So tell me how you kind of approach this. You're, you're there for a couple of years. Were you thinking, Hey, I'm going to get promoted here if I stay, or you're thinking this, I just need to get out. I need a more of a challenge. Why go to a job that, you know, you're working 60 hours a week, which is already a lot, a lot of hours. Why go to a job where you're going to be working 80 to hundred? Yeah. So I think for me, it was, I viewed whatever my next move to be was going to be like, I was in the mindset that this was like, going to med school it wasn't necessarily going to be the the most fun um but I needed to do it in order to get to do what I wanted to do um whether that was becoming more senior in in an investment bank whether that was doing private equity whether that might have been going to a long only regardless I knew doing something to the the rigor of investment banking would give me that that experience that um would get me there that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So how did you approach it? Um, as you're kind of coming up in two years, you get the second bonus. Is that you start talking to headhunters, you start talking to people at other banks? What was a how did you even get in into the lateral conversation? Yeah, so someone so my the team structure also in research is really small. There's one senior analyst and then one to three associates under the senior. So someone else who was an associate, she actually also she moved um, internally to to banking and had a really good experience just from a, a knowledge learn learning ramp up experience. Um, so I talked to her about it. Um, obviously, there's definitely pros and cons to banking, but knew that it was possible and something that is attractive as a as a junior analyst. Um, you know, you know the industry really really well which most analysts don't. Um, so I, after kind of going down the path of understanding 
had funds and long only been realizing I still didn't want to touch a, a stock. Um, I, I went to not the head of research, but someone very senior in the research department and said, Hey, you know, I want to move in. I want to do investment banking. Like I had already been flagged as a, as a top performer in research, um, you know, was definitely on track to being promoted. I was on track for having my own coverage. It was, it was a good, very good experience for me, but I was just ready to, to do something else. Um, so internally, you know, they had conversations and while they, they, they knew it was going to work and be a good transition, they didn't want it to happen right away. There was kind of a hiring freeze going on and there are a lot of moving parts happening within research. Um, so they wanted me to stay in my spot for, for just a little bit longer. So at that time, did they I say six at, months or a year? Or what did they say? No. Yeah. They didn't even really give us a, a timeline. Yeah, it's kind of like, Oh yeah, you, you'll be able to do it, but just hang tight kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, it had worked before, you know, there was a need for it on the banking side, but on the research side, I think they really needed me to stick around just for a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Um, which is totally understandable. Um, I just was getting a little impatient. <laughs> Fair. So I looked externally. Um, I had a friend um, who was in banking in a different group at the bank I ended up eventually joining, and she she told me um, my the consumer retail group was hiring. It was just a really good, really good timing for me. Um. So I had a few phone interviews with like VPs, nothing challenging, to mm-hmm. be honest. And then I went in for Super Day. Um, I brought my initiating coverage report, which was like 100 pages, <laughs> and printed it out, like threw it on the desk. And we were just able to talk through the sector. And, you know, it was, it was um, more of a conversation and discussion about the industry and less of a, of a hard interview. Um, well, what and, were the doubts? Yeah. Were they, did they push you a little bit on your financial modeling skills or your accounting skills or anything about like the hours were they concerned about? Um, I mean, I think I expressed that I was confident that I'd be able to ramp up. Um, I was able to ramp up quickly in, in research by taking on more coverage. Um, I think the modeling piece was definitely a question mark. Um, and I was able to lateral in as a second year analyst. So um, typically people take maybe two, like a two year step back, but I took like a one year step back. That's um, not bad at all. Yeah. Um, able to negotiate that. And I think it made sense just by the, the amount of knowledge I, I knew in the space. Um, it just made sense. Cool. So you're, you make the trend. So it sounds like it only took you a month or two months before you were kind of jumping to the new bulge bracket. Yeah. Yeah. So I say the interview process. So was finished within maybe like three or four weeks. Mm-hmm. And then they had told me, um, you know, we want to bring you on board, but I never got a formal confirmation on my, on my offer. So it's kind of like hanging out all summer. <laughs> waiting for my formal offer um luckily it was not not very busy at work so I was able to have a pretty relaxing summer and then you know got the offer and joined um early that fall nice and then so tell me about that transition because I think there's other 
listeners that may have to go through it. So tell me what was the easiest thing, the hardest thing? Yeah, I would say the transition was honestly harder than I expected. Um, and not even at all from like a actual workflow perspective and just more of a team dynamic perspective. Mm-hmm. So I've been, I was used to really working with, with only one person as my boss and it was a very efficient process. Um, you know, my ideas and uh, of writing research reports and everything was very efficient and um, very much like respected as a, as a top performer. I'd already been in the bank for two years <laughs> and coming in, they didn't necessarily know me or I had to reprove myself and it was maybe a little bit frustrating. Um, and just working with so many people in between me and the boss was, was confusing to me um, and, and very inefficient. Like having an associate and a VP and potentially a direct and or director yeah. and then before the MD. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was just very, very weird for me. Um, and that was the biggest adjustment. And then also just dealing with so many different personalities. You know, I think everyone. Who was the, who no was the worst? Who was the worst personality? <laughs> I an mean, associate? I, I Your that. direct associate? <laughs> it's the An MBA <laughs> that uh, out of HBS or something? And I can tell you that was my worst. <laughs> I would say I definitely, I think I worked with all really nice people. Like all the analysts and associates in my group were really, really nice, good people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that when people get overloaded and jammed with work, then it's really hard, regardless of whatever job you're in, but it's, it's really hard to just manage your different workflows and working with so many different people. So you, and, you were struggling with that, it sounds like, in terms of pushing back or like, so you quickly like ramped up to 80, 100 hours a week. And was it because you hadn't been dealing with all that crazy inefficiency before that you were having trouble with it or you're saying something else? I think it was just more um, just working with so many different people who maybe I didn't mesh really well with. Like I I was on such a good team and research that mm-hmm. I just clicked well with my boss. I clicked well with the other people I worked with. And it's not so much that I didn't click well in banking. It was just, it was just like juggling and, and working with so many different people was new to me. And, um, and there are some rude people probably and, or really yeah. tough VPs or directors that you work under. I get it. Yeah. Um, and not the most fun projects that I was on. You know, I, I was hungry and ready to be on deals and was just, I was just a lateral second year and, you know, definitely was not they're on the throwing, most fun. They're, they're throwing you on a bunch of pitches. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I mean, not, not the most exciting work I was doing right away and just very frustrated and pay your dues again. Myself. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So how many, how many hours were you working? Yeah. So I would say in the beginning when I was working on just like not fun projects, um, it was maybe around 70, 80 hours a week. And then as things got more busy, like I would say, and right before COVID really hit like big this time last year, I was put on like three or four live deals. Wow. And things really got, really got crazy. And, you know, I cover the retail consumer space. So during, during COVID, everyone was either doing really well or really bad. And we had to act really efficiently as a, as a bank to help um, our clients. And it was just an all hands on deck situation. And, you know, things definitely got, 
got crazy working over 100 hours multiple weeks in a row definitely wears you down and but you're, and then at that point you're work from home right when you get yeah is that what is that what prompted the quick promotion but i guess you you were a second year analyst so it's a straight analyst associate promote was that typical were they, were they handing out a lot of promotions to analysts second year analysts trying to keep you? yeah so the bank tip the group that i'm in or was in typically does promote um analysts after two years and we we found out if if you were getting that promotion or not and certainly not everyone got that promotion um probably even with in, how busy the, t- the team was um yeah yeah um so we got we got i would have thought they would have just been like everybody even if they're <laughs> even if they're horrible just come along for the ride we just need anybody you know yeah no but okay so um, you're saying that some some of the second year analysts didn't get that offer and that was during covid right or right Right. That was like right before COVID. I want to say in early February, um, we got communi- you know, communicated if you we were getting promoted or not. And, um, you know, I was really excited and thrilled to take the promotion. I had not started recruiting at all. Um, I was not ready or in, in the mindset or had the experience. To, to, yeah, you to were just really finally recruit. getting on live deals a year in or, you know, nine months in or whatever. So. Exactly. Why do you think it took so long to get on some live deals? Was there just not enough deal flow to go around? And because you were lateral, you kind of got stuck with the stuff and no, no one else wanted to do at first? Yeah. So I think it was a combination of I was staffed. So the way the staffing really works is you're staffed on clients, um, not necessarily deals. So I was staffed on, on a client that might be doing an, an IPO or might be doing, you know, needing a refinancing. and but the main project was this more annoying task that we had to do like evaluation work. And it was just not, it was not like the sexiest job, but it was was right. It was, it was really important for the relationship and took up a ton of time. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was hard for me to to be on something else that would like valuation work. What do you mean? Yeah, it was, it was pretty much like keeping them up to date every month or something like with something. Um, uh, it was more valuation of their portfolio companies applied to market multiples and Got it. um yeah okay so <laughs> so you get the promotion or they tell you in january february right before covid hits covid hits everyone goes to home everyone goes home you're now working 80 to 100 hours a week from home and then tell me at what stage are you like okay get me out of this because I think there's a yeah. lot of people dropping off. <laughs> a lot of first-year analysts already seven months in are dropping out, first-year analysts, from what we're seeing in the forums. So I'd like to hear kind of as, as an analyst associate promote what it was like for you. Yeah, so I would say the work-from-home thing, at least for me, made things way better. Like I had a way better uh, work-life balance from home. And honestly, when COVID hopefully soon everything goes back back to normal i hope banks really implement a culture where working from home is is okay multiple times a week i think it it does wonders um i think that because you could do laundry and stuff yeah it's everything from from laundry to you know cooking your own meal just taking 30 minutes out of your day to go on a walk it's just i think it's really great and other other industries like consulting or 
even my friends who work in tech, you know, working from home has been the norm for, for a while. I don't know why in Wall Street it, it hasn't. <laughs> so I'm surprised you say that because every associate I talked to during COVID or it feels like almost every associate was drowning. So you were still drowning in the sense of hours, but it's just that switch to home was really good for you. Yeah, I mean, I was drowning even, either like, way. to be honest, I was, <laughs> you're going to be drowning either way. It's the dynamic of what's going on in the world. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, it, yeah, it's not, it's not fun to be drowning. But if you can be comfortable in your own home and work efficiently and have a good setup, why not? Did you have roommates? Um, I had actually moved back home to my my parents for a little bit and then moved back to the city with my boyfriend. So we're both working from home. We both work in finance. Um, there's a lot of, uh, you know, we, we have a door, so it's like a Chinese wall situation. So no worries there. Yeah. So that's, that's nice because at least you had somebody there to like talk to on a yeah. break or something like that. And you weren't like completely isolated. I feel like that's, I think that's what makes it really tough for some of these analysts who are like just completely isolated at home or they're living with their parents yeah. again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's tough. you're like in college would... and you go, you think you're going to like New York and then all of a sudden you're stuck at home with your parents again. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look on the bright side, you're probably saving money. Um, you know, maybe your parents will help cook, cook for you or do your laundry. Oh, yeah. You know, there, there's not, uh, it's not all downside, but I mean, I think they're definitely missing out on some of the camaraderie and other fun things you do get by just working late hours near someone. For sure. So you get that promotion kind of in the summer to associate in the middle of COVID. What was the communication like? And then when did you start actually looking into private equity jobs? Um, And how did you approach that? How was that different? Yeah. So I would say I knew I wanted to do something else besides banking probably around the time I I was told I was getting promoted, but I didn't know that timeline. You know, I was open to being an associate for for a little bit, seeing how that goes, but I knew I kind of didn't want to be a VP and and do be a career banker. Mm-hmm. Um, Why did you say that? So, Just because of what you had seen for the that first year? Um I I I was still knew I wanted to do something just a little bit more strategic and long term with companies rather than being reactive, um, which I think a, a lot of the times, especially during COVID, it's more reactionary. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas I wanted to be um, really in the weeds in terms of strategy and, and operations with companies. Um, Did you ever think about think, consulting? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that consulting still sounds interesting to me. I think almost in my private equity seat now, I am kind of like a consultant for our portfolio companies, for sure. um, which is which is cool. So yeah, so tell me how you kind of, so it sounds like right when they told you, you had the promo early 2020, you were kind of already thinking about it. And then tell me how you got to that realization and how you approached it. Yeah. So I think, you know, I knew exactly what I wanted to do, which was I wanted to continue working in the consumer retail landscape, um, really only working in in a private equity forum with the with the set of those companies Mm -hmm. and then I also knew I didn't want to be at a big firm like I had been my entire career you know I I was I was almost tired of of being in in a bigger setting I in high school was in a smaller 
program where I, my voice was very much heard and, you know, it was very collaborative and you almost, you, it's really hard to get that in a bigger setting. So I knew I wanted to do something middle market and consumer retail focus. Um, so after connecting with every single headhunter known to man, um, you know, I, I had flagged to them actually, um, probably like this time last year saying, look, this is, these are the only jobs I want. Please contact me when they, when they become available. And I knew I wasn't going to really be an on-cycle type of candidate. You know, I was an A to A promote. I have this interesting background. I don't have that much experience in banking. So I was really looking for a, a unique opportunity. Um, and so I started interviewing probably over the summer, like late summer with firms that maybe wasn't um, like super, super exactly what I wanted. I stopped being super picky, but just kind of wanted to get some reps in once I was able to add some deal experience, even though nothing had closed to my did that Did that, um, did your specificity early on of saying, I only want, you know, retail focused funds, do you feel like that hurt you or helped you? Because it sounds like you still were able to get interviews in the summer for more generalist private equity positions. Yeah. Um, but tell me, do you feel like that hurt you initially? So I would say probably initially, like there were just less specific consumer only type of funds. There's just way more generalist positions out there. Yeah. There probably wasn't getting a ton of interviews because of that. But then over the summer, there was a a, a firm that invested in a little bit of retail and I was like you know what I'll I'll, I'll, I'll do this you know I'll be okay as a generalist mm -hmm. um I'll I'll be able to eventually silo into retail it makes sense how did you go and, back how did you go back to the headhunters and say just kidding open it up <laughs> <laughs> no I mean I was able to to say look like I looked at this company's portfolio I think they align with what I'm looking for if it's possible to eventually silo you know, I don't, I didn't want to be a VP covering industrials if my passion really lied with, um, you know, consumer. Okay. So you, you got a, a few reps in, which is always good in the summer. Yeah. So I was like really nervous about these interviews and I would say that they were not the, 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 the sole way I prepared for even the basic interviews was the Wall Street Oasis prep pass. Um, I think there's a ton of, you know, L very intense LBO models on your um, investment banking team drive that goes around to everyone. Mm -hmm. But that's almost not, that's the wrong place to start. Um, I think, especially coming in as a lateral, the, the LBO models that your team provided was perfect for me. Um, you know, just step by step, like really just walking through how to do everything. Even though I had been doing LBOs, in my job, um, like in banking, it's still not really what the interview process is like. Yeah, you still got to um, get the reps <laughs> into and just practice it a few times. There's like the paper LBO, then there's the one hour and then the three hour crazy ones. But um, yeah, yeah. Did you did you find that? I guess tell me of how many private equity processes or how many first round interviews did you have, and then how many of those do you feel like did you end up getting like second round or modeling tests or stuff like that? I'd be curious to hear those numbers. Yeah. So I, again, I was very picky with who I interviewed with. And mm -hmm. I think because of that, I was very successful in, in all, almost all my interviews because I was able to just view my passion for the industry. Yeah. Um, 
So that's the, the advantage, first, right? That's the advantage. So I was yeah. asking you, was it a big disadvantage? Because I guess when, once you hit the right fund, it's just like, I've been waiting for this exact role for a year. Like yeah. you have to give it to me now. <laughs> okay. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And I think that goes, I mean, at least for me, when I, I knew exactly what I wanted to do, it just made sense for me to really target those types of, of firms. Um, so that first process that I was in, that was like a generalist role, but they did some retail, you know, that process went really, really well. And I was, I was taking that more of a, um, let's get some reps in type of experience, but would be really happy here. Um, and, you know, I think that was a really good start for me. Um, definitely got my confidence up that I was able to do this. Um, really, I think once you start going, you can, you realize that you can do it and it's not that hard. Um, I think getting to, getting to the point where I was even comfortable submitting my resume was a, a harder, um, harder leap. That makes sense. You know, I've had funds that we've worked with on a recruiting side, like McKenna, be like, we only want females or say we need female, female applicants or not enough. Do you think there's something there? Because from, from my perspective, when we saw the candidates coming in, it was almost all, it was almost all men. And I know that banking, it's, it's obviously skewed more to men, but it's not that skewed, right? So maybe it's just a WSO thing, but I was surprised, like it would be one in like 20 applicants. And I know there's there's probably a lot of investment banking women that want to be in private equity. I don't know. Do you think there's something there where they're just like, don't want to do it or they go somewhere else instead or they want to get out of finance? Yeah, it's a good question. So I'm actually the only female at my current firm. That's my point. It's super underrepresented. It's less so at the banks now, right? Because they have a lot more of those programs. But um, yeah, I'd love to, what are your thoughts on that? Like just talking to your friends who are in banking, because you said a few times I had my friend and she blah, blah, blah. So I'd be curious to hear what they did. So a lot of my friends who have been in banking and then left banking and my, my group is very female dominant. I think that um, I think it just also the consumer retail industry does also just attract more, more women than other industries. Um, and our group head was, um, we had a lot of senior women in the group, which definitely also helped attract women talent. And a lot of a lot of the people that I have seen left leave um, recently have done things, you know, like corporate development. Um, someone went to a VC firm. Um, it's all within the the normal realm, but a lot of people have actually stayed within banking. I think that the culture, at least in my group, was very supportive and um you know a, a very good place to to grow as a female in the banking industry um yeah. i would love to see more women um and on the buy side i think that goes also in the in the hedge fund and long only world i don't know why there aren't more women um it, it there are they applying in in a lower rate meaning if you had 10 yeah. 10 men like out of the men in banking i'd assume like seven of them apply or trying to get private equity how many of the women do you think are trying to get private equity? Like four, three? You think it's that's that's almost like half. The female, like the female bankers that I've worked with, um, you know, some people, some people do want to do private equity, and I think their process is just running on their own timeline. Um, I think pe- a lot of people are also happy in banking. Um, yeah. I think, I think also, I mean, I don't think private equity is super different than banking. I like it a lot more, but I think people might be 
um, you know, not looking for, for, for banking 2.0 and maybe women just pick up on that. <laughs> like the lower, the lower middle market, it's not. And I mean, I know you haven't been at your, at least Yeah, you know, I, I worked at a middle market fund. I had, it was, it was an amazing job when I was at Tailwind. It was really interesting. I was working probably 60 hours a week, but interesting work. Um, so for me, it was great, but yeah, so there are the banking 2.0, but that's, that tends to be the more the mega fund from what I can, I can tell, but. Yeah, I would say my, my firm is too small to like waste resources on banking 2.0, um, which I've really appreciated and I'm really enjoying my, my current role. Well, I, I know you've got to run, so I'm going to let you go, but um, is there any other last words of wisdom before we call it, um, before we call the pod? Yeah, I mean say even when when folks are feeling you know down or having a hard week or a hard few weeks stick with it um it's it's not going to be forever this tough um speak up if things are getting super hard i think that banks in particular are are looking to improve culture um so if things are getting really rough just raise your hand and and things won't get better awesome we'll leave it at that i think that's that's Mental health is important during this whole saga. This last year has been pretty rough on a lot of people. So um, yeah. hopefully some of the analysts can make it out the other end without like just leaving for, with nothing, back, with no backup. Um, but yeah, I, I, I always say like, if it's much better to just raise your hand and say, I can't do anymore rather than just quit. Yeah. Or just say, I need a week 100%. off. You know, I need a week off or I, I, I need to be out. I'm, I'm sick, whatever. Um, just do something. Um, because if they're working you that hard, that tends it tends to really protect you because they really need you. <laughs> yeah. Also, so like keep that in mind. So okay, we'll leave 100%. it there. We'll leave it there. Consumer thanks so investor, much, thanks so much for your time. Appreciate it. Have a good one. And thanks to you, my listeners at Wall Street Oasis. If you have any suggestions whatsoever, please don't hesitate to send them my way, Patrick at WallStreetOasis.com. And until next time. 